Welcome, everyone, to the Change Starts Here podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Odom. In this week's episode, we welcome author and president and CEO of Compendium, Kobe Yamada. If you've not heard of Kobe, you've probably heard of the books he's written. Some of our favorite books that we have uh, in my kids' library is What Do You Do With an Idea? What do you do with a problem? What do you do with a chance? Maybe because I had a teacher trying, finding muchness, feeling grateful, noticing the candy dish because of you, mom, because of you, dad. If you notice a um, a theme, there's definitely a theme. And it's because Kobe is someone who from as early as he can remember, has just aspired to inspire people. And so he looks at his books as he'll talk in this interview uh, as a way to spark conversation and ideas and taking chances and believing in yourself and shutting out the negative talk, self-talk that you have and replacing it with positive self-talk. This interview is awesome. I mean, his company, if you've never heard of Compendium. I haven't heard of the company necessarily before uh, I started looking into what they did, but what they do is it's an organization that inspires others and they build really cool products from greeting cards to uh, other things. I'm not going to get into it. You guys can see it when you go look at it to help inspire others. They just, they, they think of ways to use the power of words, the power of gifts and the power of moments to help uplift people around them. So the company is really cool. The books this man have written are life-changing. I was telling Kobe in the interview that uh, I really appreciate his books because as I'm reading them, with my sons individually, I get a chance to have a deeper conversation about their hopes and dreams or their insecurities, their challenges in a way that I don't know if I was just sitting next to them on the couch, they'd be willing to. But since we're looking at a book together and kind of going through an experience together, it really opens up a new world for us to enter into together. And so Kobe is a really inspiring person. What I love most about him is it's never about him. It's never an I, it's always a we. I've never really heard an author say, we did this. We are about this. As a CEO, he talks about how great his people are always before him. And so I, I love really humble people. And so you'll notice that um, thread throughout. It's a great conversation. I had a lot of fun interviewing them. And so I hope you enjoy it as much as me. And as always, as you listen, if there's someone in your life that you think needs to know more about Kobe, his ideas uh, and his insights, please share this podcast with them. We appreciate your support as always and enjoy this episode. All right, Kobe, thank you so much for making time to be here with us today. We appreciate you uh, rearranging your schedule for us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, as you know, the first question is the same for everybody. Who are you and what do you love about what you do? Uh, my name is Kobe Yamada. I'm a, a picture book, children's picture book author, as well as the CEO of a company up in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Compendium. And uh, really everything we do is is tied to inspiration. You know, we want to make a positive uh, difference in the world. And so, um, you know, what I, what I love about the work is uh, I get to work with some incredible people. We get to uh, put our creativity to use. And, um, but even more so, it gives me an opportunity to connect with uh, really people all over the world. And I, I think I find that's a tremendous uh, honor. Well, I think one interesting 
pieces. I know of you because that book above your head, what do you do with an idea? And a number of your other books decorate one, they're beautiful drawings, which I know that you've worked with this great uh, illustrator, but the the stories themselves, they're, they're all over our youngest kids room and all of our kids have kind of been raised on your books. And so I know of you that way, but I've, you know, in prepping for you to come on, I, I've found it interesting that you didn't become an author first, or you didn't set out to become an author. Is that correct? Yes, that is that is correct. Um, you know, authoring books, I almost felt like it was just sort of it, it was the next thing that happened. I, you know, I, I've, I've been uh, running Compendium for over 30 years now and um, was always involved with the creativity of the product. Uh, but we make all kinds of products from greeting cards to gift books to journals and uh and just uh, uh one day I was watching our creative team working together and uh uh felt like we could be better in our own creative sessions and our own idea generation sessions uh with new ideas and so that I, w- I went to bed that night and kind of woke up the next morning and and I wrote what do you do with an idea on my phone and uh <laughs> And uh, knew it would be a picture book because I really thought this is a principle that would be really good to start young and really good to introduce the concept of protecting and supporting ideas. But I really wasn't writing a kid's book. I was really writing a book for people of all ages. And, uh, and it's been kind of remarkable how, how much the world has responded to it. And that has sort of mm-hmm. <clears throat> led to authoring other picture books as well. Yeah, I think um, I have a, a couple of friends who have gone to business school and they don't have kids still. And they've heard of your books and they brought it up to me one day. I'm thinking, why do you guys know who this guy is? You're not at that stage yet. So is that normal? Is your is your Are your picture books being used for uh, adult curriculum across the world? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I received a similar message like you did. I I had someone that was at the uh, Foster Business School at University of Washington here because that's where we're from. And he said, do you yeah. realize your book is, you know, being presented right now up on uh, on audiovisual, you know, to the at the Foster Business School. They were graduate for the graduates of the school. They were reading my book and presenting it and talking about the concepts. Um, and, you know, I've been very fortunate the, uh, uh, you know, at the university level or different corporations having have uh, adopted uh, some of my books. Um, but I think that that's just the nature of talking about concepts like creativity or courage or persistence. Um, these aren't just childhood topics. These are topics that I think we all work with, strive with, and we mold. We don't really get, you know, we don't really perfect these. There are things to improve on. Um, and so I, I'm delighted to see that the audience has stretched beyond just kids but, you know, Dustin, my, my overall goal with books is to create a conversation, uh, create a discussion on that on that topic. And I think that discussion is even more powerful when you're when the audience is people of different generations or different backgrounds. Yeah, I think uh, so. What's interesting, it's, it's interesting to hear you say, you know, you didn't write it for kids because. Uh, I've got a nine, a six, and a two-year-old, and I talk about them all the time on the podcast. And my nine-year-old, I was able to engage with them in these discussions, you know, a little bit earlier. It feels like, but it's really the last few months 
that my six-year-old is ready to dive into me about what's an idea or the, you know, how to take a chance uh, or how do you handle your problem, right? So it, he's he's willing to have a discussion, but I feel like every page or every like third page, there's a really good stopping point to just engage with my son. And so I'm thankful that you you write it that way. And it, it, it makes sense that, you know, you're, you're trying to have, encourage a conversation because that's what happens naturally as the reader engaging with my kid. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry. My dog is uh, deciding she's going to join the conversation. Um, Sounds great. <laughs> I, I definitely wrote it um, for kids. I just didn't write it just for kids. And, uh, yeah. and so I think that that's an important distinction in that this is the, you know, the, a picture book can be a great tool because it can simplify a, a topic but I'm hoping that it can expand on a topic too. And what I mean by that is I think my books uh, certainly, and, and really a lot of books are incomplete without the reader. You know, it's what it's, it's the thoughts and the feelings and the insecurities and the, and the anxiety and the dreams of the reader that really bring books to life, you know, when they can, when they can embody them, when they can make them their own. Um, and I don't think that they're talking about, um, what do you do with an idea at a at a business school because of necessarily the writing or the illustration? I think it's because they're hoping that those graduates or those people that are pondering what they're going to do with these ama amazing talents and and skills and and uh, lessons that they've been acquiring uh, through their through their learnings. What are they going to do with it? You know, how are they going to impact the world? What are they going to do with their lives? And I think those are the things that are much more important questions. You know, we're not. We're not prepping kids from fourth grade to fifth grade. We're not prepping college, you know, uh, graduates to graduate. We're we want we want people to succeed at life, and we want them to succeed yeah. at contribution, and we want them to succeed at making a difference in the world. And so, what is that impact going to be? And I think a lot of times they can be provoked by a simple story or by a, a question that can maybe lead to wonderful things. I kind of look at my books as being just a little pebble, you know, in the water, and uh, and I'm hoping that. The reader creates all their own ripples. Well, I I, I don't know if it was a, a podcast episode I was listening to you on or one of your kind of online uh, interviews, but you said somewhere that the world's opinion is not a very good value of an idea. And, you know, I think that it seems very simple, but that's so powerful. What, what, what does that mean to you? So when you say that, uh, how, how does that land with you? And when did you learn that? Well, it lands with me that, you know, the, the wilder, the bigger, the crazier ideas that happen uh, when they're introduced to the world, we've had, we have tons of history on that. They, they look, they look wild. They look outlandish. They look crazy. And if you fast forward 50 years, sometimes those are the greatest, biggest inventions that we have that, you know, I mean, I, I lived through the time when we didn't have internet and then we did. And I remember looking, I remember someone showing me the first versions of the internet and thinking, I don't have any use for this. You know, I mean, I, I uh, you know, th this is, this isn't necessarily anything that I, I could see as being groundbreaking or things that would change my life or the way that I might work or interact with people in the world. Or, um, and, and yet here we are today, right? Here we are today. You and I are interfacing from different parts of the world across this wonderful invention and none of us think that the internet is a stupid idea, a crazy idea, something that would never work. But what what changed? You know, the world's opinion changed, and it changed massively. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was adopted in a way that 
uh, is useful, effective, and you know, and it comes with its its goods and its bads. But um, that's that's probably every idea, right? It's going to come in. It's going to impact and how how we react to it. So my my thought with that, I'm saying that statement was, we can so often get down on ourselves, and we can get so often lose hope and lose faith and lose confidence in our ideas and our. But we aren't just losing confidence in our ideas. I think this is a really important uh, point of distinction. Ideas, when, you, when you're generating those, I don't know if you feel this way, Dustin, but I certainly have, they feel very personal. When somebody, yeah. when, when somebody shoots down your idea, it feels like they're shooting down you, right? It feels like you're not good. It feels like you're not worth it. It feels like you're off the mark, not just your idea. And, uh, and I think that's a really difficult thing to go through psychologically and emotionally. And I want, I want to introduce that concept to kids. I want them and people really of all ages, I want them to see that that's not necessarily valid. It might feel super valid. It might feel overwhelming at the time, but, you know, keep some hope, you know, press yeah. on with some of these things because you might not be that, you might not be that off. It's just that you might be so darn unique. You might be so darn innovative that the world isn't ready yet or the audience that you just shared it with isn't ready yet. Yeah. I think one of the, you know, as a young parent, but also a long-term educator, my wife's in the same work, we notice uh, kids giving up way too early, right? Their, their goal is perfection, not the process. It, it feels to me, your books, this is the way I've articulated your books. And people ask me, who do, who, I, who do I think you are? Which is before I ever got a chance to even ask you on the podcast. But you're someone that helps people. Yes, inspires. And we'll, get, we'll dive into your purpose of inspiration in a minute. But I, I think you help people identify with the purpose is where, or the, the process is where life happens. It's the process of coming up with an idea, sticking with an idea, process of trying, process of grappling with the problem that becomes an opportunity, right? Problem that like taking a chance. Obviously, I'm way too deep in your stuff. So I apologize for the folks <laughs> who haven't read it yet. Um, do you, do you, do you identify with where my head's at there? I feel like you're trying to help people just live uh, as opposed to try to be perfect. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it kind of gets back to the, it, it's, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey. And, uh, you know, and that's a concept that I was introduced to as a, as a teen kid myself. And that's a tough one, right? Like we always want to finish that race and we always want the prize at the end kind of an aspect. But, you know, the whole idea that practice doesn't really make perfect, practice makes progress. And what we really want to look at is, are we progressing? You know, uh, what what are we really making of our lives? We're, we're making progress, right? Like that's the thing that uh, that little bit of uh, that 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 Japanese concept of kaizen, that little that little you know slight percentage of improvement each day. And I think that it's in my mind. I think it goes one step further than that. It isn't just about improvement. It isn't just about getting better. It's also about we only have so much time on the planet, and we want to also relish and appreciate and uh, be in the moments that we get. So I think a giant layer of this amongst all of the things you want to achieve and amongst all the things you want to push for or change or improve is gratitude. You know, you really, we really want to sit in that space a lot. We talk with our kids about that a lot, that, uh, uh, you know, it's so easy to be dissatisfied with something 
when you have the measurements wrong. But it's but if you can just tweak those measurements a little bit, there's so much to be thankful for, grateful for, um, and they can seem like things that are not worth appreciating. And yet, you know, being able to say move your body uh, and being able to uh, go take a walk out in nature, well, there's thousands of people that don't have that ability, and and they don't have. Uh, that particular trait to be grateful for. And yet we're not necessarily always mindful of those things. So I think that when we stack the deck, um, we can't just do it out of lack. We can't just do it out of, you know, not good enough yet. Um, uh, it's great to improve, but it's also great to be able to sit back and appreciate the standpoint that a, lots, a lot of things in life are uh, going pretty well. And there are things to appreciate out there. And I think from that from that place of appreciation, from that grounded place of humility, we can do really great things or strive for great things. I heard you say, I know I heard this one, uh, that you said inspiration is your true love. Is that right? I mean, you yeah. talked about gratitude, which I appreciate. But how, how long has that been? Because I, I think most people listening to this podcast, most educators I've worked with, they, I think they would really identify with inspiration being a passion of theirs, but you said it's your true love. What does that mean to you? And what does that look like in action on a day in and day out basis? Well, it means to me, and it, what it looked like is, you know, my parents didn't have much money growing up. Uh, uh, it was a wonderful, loving home, but uh, we didn't have a lot of financial means. Um, so I had a lot of things to aspire to. I had a lot of things mm -hmm. that uh, uh, I would design a life for myself uh, maybe looking a little bit differently than the one that I was in. And uh, I was probably nine, 10 years old. And I was the kind of kid that had multiple paper routes and doing lawn businesses and anything entrepreneurial and, you know, that kind of a thing. But uh, when I started to discover inspiration in a published form, books, tapes, um, different things like that, uh, it was um, such a wonderful resource to me. Because what I didn't realize at the time was that it was just helping me think differently. It was helping me uh, sort of put validity behind uh, dreams or goals, and maybe even some life skills uh, about that, about developing those. So that was always something uh, since that point that I loved working on. I loved the idea that we could help to architect our lives instead of just sort of walking through it and not really determining direction. Um, and then uh, I, I ran into a product that Dan Zader, our founder of Compendium back in, you know, early nineties, I ran into a product of his, it's a little, one of the cards we still make that pop open and have little messages inside. Um, I, I, I was, by the way, I was given that product way back when I was, uh, uh, in my early tweens, my dad worked at Boeing and he had made a, a card set of that for increasing human effectiveness for the Edge Learning Institute. And, uh, and so I thought that was just a magical product. Um, I had that little box. My dad passed it on to me. Um, and so when I re-engaged with that uh, product uh, in college, I had to contact the company. I ended up talking with Dan and I ended up turning down a job in Japan that I had studied for and was ready to go and was paying many multiples over what uh, what I ended up signing for uh, with Compendium. Um, and uh, and it was a real entrepreneurial journey, you know, coming out of that. The company wasn't as financially sound at all as I thought, but um, 
but there was inspiration. Inspiration lived inside that company, and that was enough for me. And uh, so I kind of uh, really believe that in the amount of time we have here on the planet, let's do something that we are really passionate about and care about. And I was passionate about it and cared about it. And we have gone on to create a new, a wonderful company. I realized that uh, in the interest of like diving into your story too quickly, I skipped over the opportunity to let you in your own words uh, explain Compendium. And just when people say, hey, what is Compendium? I, I know what it is because I've uh, used your cards for quite some time. And uh, I love the idea of those pop-up cards and try to drop them different places. And so uh, it seems very secondhand to me, but tell folks who've never heard of it before, because I think most educators would love to dive into this company. Well, you know, Compendium at its heart wants to make gifts and they want to make gifts for people to share and people to connect and people to appreciate and, uh, and celebrate. But and that could be a gift to yourself too. But we, we make uh, journals and gift books and greeting cards, little pop open cards and children's books and, you know, just a number of different published pieces. But we love, we love the power of words. We love inspiration. And that's kind of the inspiration is sort of in the DNA of the company. It's something that ties and threads each product together. Um, so, we're a company up here uh, in uh, the Seattle area that's been around for 30 plus years. And um, we are found mostly through our products, more than that are even our company name or my name. Um, and we sell through tens of thousands of stores throughout the United States and, uh, uh, and certainly Canada, Australia, all these you know different places. Uh, our books and things are translated into 40 plus languages, I think now and uh, around the world. But uh, we really believe that, uh, you know, I, I, I like to say I'm, I'm surrounded by a bunch of talented idealists at Compendium. You know, they, they could work anywhere. They're so good. But they want to make a positive difference in the world, and so do I. And, uh, and that's kind of the thing that we, we lock arms with and, and want to uh, uh, make that work count. I've heard you say you, you think you have the best job in the world and you work with the best team in the world. Why is that? Uh, because... It, the, the entire time, I think people are leaning in, and uh, and it's and we're in the surprise and delight business. I mean, how fun is that, right? Like, you know, we're creating moments, and uh, and you know, it's like, say for instance, a book of mine. I'm not sure that the magic is in my words, or the pictures, or the pages, or the way it's printed on the ink. It's like in the moment you you're connecting with your son or your daughter, right? Like that that yep. is. The, and if we facilitate and amplify a little bit of that, that's where the magic lives. So I yeah. think that. Though we're not necessarily always there to see it, it's something that drives us that we get to be in a business that's generating meaningful moments. And uh, and you know we're, we don't we don't we know we don't control those moments. We don't even create them. We're just part of trying to amplify that relationship. One thing that I, I believe you exude more than anything else is this humility. And you know I've heard educators, superintendents of districts, stand in front. You know they let's say they have several hundred thousand kids, they have thousands of people who work for them, and they stand and talk about the success in their district as I, I, I. You're an author of a book. You could easily say, I did this. And I don't think I've ever heard you say I. I always hear you say, we, and our illustrator is so great, and the team that puts us together is so great. Where did that come from, and how did you uh, have that sense about this work as opposed to being about Kobe? Well, Dustin, it's, it's accurate. It's not, it's really not about Kobe. You know, um, uh, if, if we, if we were to take a book, any, or any product, honestly, but let's take the book that you were talking about. What do you do with an idea? Um, 
if if people knew how many people touched that book, it would it, it shouldn't be my name on the book only. Uh, you think about the editors. You think about people that help shape that. Uh, and and I and I mean, let's say we get the book all the way printed, and not to mention the wonderful people on press and all the things that happen with production. But every day, our team is facilitating those orders. You know, the 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 stores that are selling them, they're they're storytellers. They're they're talking. They're sharing new product with. You're part of this book's journey now, right? I mean, you know, to be perfectly honest, it is a we, right? Life's a shared experience, yes. and. Uh, I, I don't think there is ever a self-made person. Um, I think that there is a lot of wonderful people that have done amazing things. But if they're honest, they've had teachers. They've had mentors. They've had parents. They've had coworkers. They've had students. And all those kinds of people that have interacted with and touched their lives, even people that have been difficult for them to deal with, have contributed to their success. Yeah, I, I feel like, Right, right or wrong, it's one of the the factors that I use to think about if I'm going to partner someone because my work outside of podcast hosts is, you know, kind of business leader within Franklin Covey Education. And so when I hear too much I language, I automatically assume that we might not be a fit because it's never about any of us individually. And I'm just... I've not heard an author once say we in the way as sincerely and as clearly and as powerfully as you. And I just think that's an inspiration to all leaders, not just authors or just any in particular genre. Well, I can, I mean, I, I can honestly tell you that uh, I am not the reason for the success of the company. Uh, I, I mean, I, I can just picture too many, I close my eyes and picture, you know, so many people and they're so brilliantly talented and they're so dedicated and they're so good at their job. And to be perfectly honest, I think a lot of times having me on the podcast instead of these other teams of people is a little bit erroneous, you know, because they really are fabulous contributors to the success of what we're trying to do as a company and the impact we're having on the world. I think for my place at Franklin Covey, or I think about my wife's place at her school district, you say you've got the best team that could be working anywhere else in the world. What do you think are the key factors for myself or my wife or anybody listening to build the right school organization, district organization, or company to attract the people to be? So I can say that, I I feel like I can say that, but like my wife can say that a year from now, or anybody listening can say that a year from now. So, you know, celebrate what you want to see more of, right? And so um, I think the number one thing for our company, why I think our, our team is where it's at, is culture. Um, we, we know that we are a company that is for our people. Our people aren't for our company. And so all the decisions that we make going into that, we're trying to figure out how do we do this for the human being that is, you know, said another way, Dustin, I have, and, and our leadership has never forgotten that every single person, every single employee at our company is a volunteer. And so, yes, they get paid. Yes, there's healthcare and profit share and different things like that that go with it, but they really can work anywhere. And we're really grateful that they chose to work at Compendium. And so, when I think companies get it wrong is when they think their people are their property and that their people are an asset. 
uh, no, their, their, their people are their greatest resource. And so we look at those individuals that have chosen to work at our company and continue to choose to work at our company as a tremendous, wonderful gift that they're giving to us. And uh, we want to, in, in that relationship, be really good partners you know, with that. And so that drives most of the decisions on how we figure that out. Now, that doesn't mean that we can afford everything. That doesn't mean that we can, um, you know, you, you read about some of the amenities and some of the tech companies and stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, that, that is amazing. You know, uh, we, they've got dry cleaning and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, food, interesting sleep pods with food delivery, you know, and things like yeah. that. But, uh, you know, the one thing that we do give them is we try to create a company that is full of integrity and that also cares about their work-life balance. And so, mm-hmm. Instead of creating a better environment for them to say have a sleep pod, we want them to go home and spend time with their families. You know, we want them to, you know, only spend so much time at the office because honestly, the way we think about it is if we are successful only by, uh, you know, sort of like burning the candle at both ends with our employees, then we don't really have a sustainable company, you know, and Mm -hmm. so sustained success is part of that culture and sustainment means that someone is healthy and well, you know, mentally, physically, emotionally, these are ways that people can contribute the, their best talents and their best uh, uh, capabilities to the, to the company and the work we're doing. So I think they feel that. I think they feel the respect. I think they feel the, the earnest effort on our part to try to create a culture and environment that can, uh, that can foster that. Do we fall short? Absolutely. You know, do we get it wrong? Yeah. Many times. I'm sure that, uh, you know, my employees listen to this podcast like, oh, yeah, but what about Monday? Right. You know, so <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not leaning in and giving it, you know, a sincere effort. Uh, and, um, you know, you, you go through ups and downs. I mean, the pandemic was tough. That was the first time we had to lay off people, you know, uh, yeah. when, when we were hitting that all the stores were closed and all those kinds of things. That's a hit to a company culture. That's a hit to um, who we are as a company. Uh, but I think you know all you can do is uh, honestly connect and talk with your your staff about these kinds of things that that come up and and try to write it out and get through the those adverse times together. Have you noticed one of the things? One I didn't realize. Uh, especially given where you're at, you guys may be competing against tech companies that have all these other great offerings. And so it's really cool that you found your way to compete. The, I think when it comes to organizations like yourself with a clear mission that uh, right away, if I was coming to work for you, I would be pumped to start day one, right? So people are already creating their version of what this like utopia feels like. Anytime you fall short, it feels that the the bar is so high for what the culture should be that if you miss it a little bit, it's yeah. like you pull the chair out from under them. And again, I think that at the end of the day, it's like we're just people trying to figure this out who are fighting for that aspiration. Is that something that you resonate or resonates with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you know we just had we just had our customer service staff present to us. Uh, we we do that through different monthly things, um, all company meetings. 
And they were presenting, you know, just sort of the things that they're working on because we went all virtual after the pandemic. Uh, we ended up uh, subleasing our office. And uh, and so we, we we intentionally get together, whether that's, you know, gatherings at restaurants or, or you know, ball games or things, but we don't really make it about work. And the other way we get together is monthly, we have an all staff meeting that sort of is bringing together the different topics and things. But in this, this particular month, it was customer service. And I was just saying that, isn't it amazing that our customer service has such high marks when exactly what you said, Dustin, it isn't just our employees, but every customer that calls in, they expect that if this company is going to be focused on positivity, inspiration, and making a difference, that when they engage with a human being on the phone or in an email, they're going to get someone that is engaged with them, that cares about them as a human being, that is, is here to help listen and try to solve their problems and the bar is extremely high we're not selling tires you know we're not uh, we're not selling pipe fitters we are selling inspiration and we are talking about things in a way that's very elevated from a customer service experience and yet our customer service team is rising to that bar on a consistent awesome. basis and that's really a testament you were talking about the i we standpoint well how disingenuous is it if you're I over here and you're not over here with it, and how's Kobe supposed to be in you know 600 different places? Well, now I think it sort of starts to open up, and you can hopefully your audience can see it is we, you know, and all we. those touch points, right? That customer service uh, person is every bit as much the face of Compendium as I am, and so that is really where we talk about being are we consistent do we care about the mission of the organization and how do we deliver that right and so yeah. um it is it's never about one person but i think if you want that kind of consistency you keep investing in your people and you keep investing in your culture that's awesome last work question and then i want to uh, close out uh i've heard you it's this this paradigm i think you shared it on a podcast i listened to a few weeks ago that i helped me think about my role uh, I don't know if you got it from your daughter or somebody in your family where you talked about how you don't look at it as going to work. You go to a playground. And I'm sure I'm getting that wrong, but is that is that uh, essentially what I'm saying? Uh, what you've said about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That was that was from my daughter when she was, uh, gosh, probably like seven years old or so. And she's 18 now and we're looking at colleges and, you know, things like that. But uh, I was talking about going to the office and, you know, and I've shared with my daughter uh, what work could look like. And I've shared with my daughter about how I hope, uh, and my son too, that I hope that they do things that they love and that they care about. And uh, and she's the one that said to me, you know, you don't go to the office, you go to the playground. And uh, and what a cool phrase, you know, it's uh, I, I'd never thought about that actually in that way before, except for I'm a huge believer in blending the lot, you know, blurring the line between work and play. I think when you are in that space of play, it feels different, right? You're engaged in a different way emotionally with what you're doing. And that intrinsic motivation and that that passion and that desire and that sense of honestly, you know, one of the big components we don't nobody talks about enough in my mind is fun. You know, I mean the, the more fun you can have at work, the more fun you can have with other people, the more joy that you can bring to that, it's going to be better work. You're gonna, you're going, you're going to. The time's gonna pass, you know, this pass much quicker, and uh, and I don't think that we talk about that enough. That fun and joy is a gigantic component of doing something successfully. 
Well, I, I remember, I mean, I taught high school kids, so it was a little bit easier. But uh, when I taught trigonometry, I was thinking, man, people are, most people are not going to be excited about coming to class. I've got to make it to where I'm having fun and just pray that my fun is their fun. And so it, that worked over time. And I think that's something that, you know, whether it's uh, as life happens to you. So having kids, lots of travel, you start thinking about the job separately versus like the privilege of, I get to go have fun doing this every day. And so yeah. I just appreciate you uh, or your, I guess your daughter in this case, putting that out in the universe for us. Well, and I also think Dustin, you, you are modeling for your students, right? It doesn't matter yeah. if it's trigonometry. It doesn't even matter if it's their jam, you know, that's, that's that, that, that subject, but you're, you're, you're teaching them how to share passionately. You're teaching them how to learn with something more than dread. And, uh, and we learn best by modeling, right? We just do not being lectured at, not being, you know, just shown something and told this is what you need to do, but modeling, right. In the way that the way that people carry themselves and with passion that they share those kinds of things. And, uh, I have no doubt that you are a memorable teacher to your students, you know, years and years down the road. I have teachers like that, that I, that, uh, uh, I got to have him uh, growing up as well. This is, uh, before we get to our rapid fire questions, this is probably a, a gross oversimplification of the impact your company has. But I look at all the things that you do, and I feel like you guys understand the power of words more than almost any other company, whether it's, you know, you, you see the the title maybe right behind you or uh, just the type of questions you ask or the cards that you guys create, you all really seem to understand the power of words. One, do you agree with that take? And two, how, what kind of encouragement do you have for leaders to recognize and to start harnessing the power of words? Well, I, I do think that words tr have tremendous power. Um, we've, we talk about that all the time, you know, in our, in our company, we, we sort of start with the message and build out from there. Um, and uh, I don't know if we do it better than other companies. You know, there, there are wonderful companies doing amazing work out there that we're inspired by too, but we, we care a lot, you know, we care a lot about that. And we really, really absolutely believe that words can have impact. And so I think Dustin, it goes beyond our product too. You know, the, our self-talk, the way we think, you know, the way we talk to ourselves, our criticisms, our inner critic, all that stuff. Those are powerful too. And I think kids have to, and, and really people of all ages have to know that that dialogue's going on, right? Like we have an inner dialogue going on all the time. What we're trying to do is that we're trying to interrupt patterns. We're trying to amplify things. We're trying to feed that beast that sort of spins in our heads because sometimes that can be something that can be a really debilitating thing for people. Yep. And sometimes it can be an empowering thing. And, uh, and we have to kind of get our hands around the fact that we have some influence over that by what we feed it, the kinds of things we read, the kinds of things we see, the kind of people we interact with, and the way that we also absorb it and interpret it, you know, and, uh, and the kind of ways, you know, you know, it's, you got to be careful how you're talking to yourself, you're listening. That's, that's powerful. And I, I feel like when the books that I've read of yours, and I've read them all at this point, but I feel like there is a common theme that is about what am I saying to myself and how is that limiting my opportunities or the, like the potential I have, as well as 
what is real and not real. And I appreciate the power of self-talk, at least right now, my being able to dive in with my six-year-old about his own negative self-talk. The book helped me get there in a way that I've not ever been able to get to. So I just appreciate uh, how you live in that space and get messy in that space. Well, thank you. It's, it's nice to know that we had a, a little part of that interaction with your son. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Well, let's close out real quickly. We got our last four questions are rapid fire. You don't have to think too hard about them. First question is what habit or discipline do you use on a daily basis to help you be the best version of yourself? You know, mo- really, really, uh, breath. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it allows me to be, get, get a, some moments to ground, grind, uh, ground myself and to re-engage with, um, being present. And I think, which is, uh, I'm no different than anyone else. You can get your mind can get racing and you can be at a million different things. I think it's, it's a really good practice to, um, help to reinstall a, a focus in a center. That's great. Uh, there's a lot of books coming out right now about the power of breathing and breath. Uh, mm-hmm. so that's a good reminder, uh, to that lead in question, what book or books have you either read in your lifetime or recently that you just, you always recommend, or you feel like you just have to recommend uh, folks to check out. Well, I, I I love The Alchemist. You know, I I I love that book, uh, and that's not a recently, but I, I revisit. Um, you know, the author's a genius, and uh, it just just helped me to think about what you want to do with your life and how you want to impact it in a in a really in a really cool way. That's awesome. Uh, I think you're the second person who said alchemist. So that's a good one. Uh, the the third question, and I used to ask about the playlist. Now my son makes me ask everybody about their walk-up song because we're obsessed with baseball. So uh, if you had a walk-up song right now, again, he always points out walk-up songs can change multiple times during a baseball season. But if you think about a walk-up song, whether you listen to today or recently to get you pumped up or to get you centered in some way, what song would it be? Gosh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Except the only song I can come up with is Dancing Queen by ABBA. <laughs> yes. So that, that song my wife and I have so much joy with and dance with, and it's so much fun that uh, I think I got to go with that. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't see that coming, but I'll take Dancing Queen. Last question. <laughs> uh, I, gener- I generally ask it, you know, someone like you who's, you know, uh, uh, as you've said, you work with so many brilliant people, but also you get a chance to travel around and uh, work with other thought leaders. I'm curious if there's a piece of leadership advice, personal change advice, or maybe even giving your work an inspirational quote that's been on your mind that hit you, you know, powerfully that you didn't expect that you just, you know, have to share with people. Gosh, uh, from a quote standpoint, I, you know what, I think, uh, our founder, Dan Zader, genius, wonderful writer, amazing. He had a phrase that I've used many times that we've talked about. It's trust your crazy ideas. And, uh, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, that one has stuck with me over the decades, uh, you know, and I think it's something that is foundational for Compendium. It was a crazy idea, you know, way back when you started this company. And it remained a crazy idea for many years when nobody thought it would work. So I think that, you know, that, that's, that has very sentimental value to me, as well as I think it's genius advice. Trust your crazy ideas. I think that's something that 
being a, a father of young kids, I've realized, I don't know if I've gotten away from it over time or I haven't leaned in, but I, I feel like I let too much realism come in my head when I think about ideas and seeing my kids do that, it drives me crazy. I'm like, stop, dream big. But then I think about the modeling, am I actually modeling what it looks like to dream big uh, and to trust my crazy ideas? And so uh, I think that's that's a great way to leave us because I think that's what you help us do. Just continue to dream big and to take chances on ourselves. Well, Dustin, uh, thank you for having me on. It's it's really nice to, to connect with you. And uh, it's been a, a really pleasure uh, just having this conversation. This is a huge blessing, Kobe. I appreciate you making time for us. And uh, hopefully we get a chance to have you back on again in the future. Mm, that, would be, that would be fun. Okay. Thank you, Justin. All right. Thanks, Kobe. See you, man. Please support us by subscribing to our YouTube channel, uh, podcast on Apple or Spotify, and help us celebrate the beautiful, messy work of shaping human potential.